Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. I don't know if many of you remember the Peanuts cartoons. There's one particular Peanuts cartoon where Lucy demands that Linus change the TV channels. She threatens him with her fist if he didn't do it. So Linus says, well, what makes you think you can walk right in here and take this television over? Lucy looks at him and she says, these five fingers, individually they're nothing, But when I curl them together like this in a single unit, they form a weapon that is terrible to behold. Which channel do you want? Linus replied. And then turning away, he looks down at his fingers and says, why can't you guys get organized together like that? You know, when we come together, we're a unified powerful force for the cause of the kingdom. Linus is just hoping to get his fingers together in unity. Just hoping that would happen. You're saying, what has this got to do with anything? Well, I think it's exactly what Paul's been doing. 1 Corinthians chapters 1, 2, and 3, Paul's really been trying to say, hey, can you guys just get together? All the division that's kind of there. Can can you guys just come together and form something as a single unit? And and Paul would tell you that it's one thing to to get together, but here's where Paul's going to go today. It's another thing to stay together once you've come together. So Paul begins to talk about how do we deal with this idea of maintaining unity once we've had it. I believe our text this morning is going to give us two principles about how we can maintain unity. And because I'm trying to help us all really respect and honor the Word of God, I ask you to do something, and I know sometimes you're like, man, we just sat down, but can can I just tell you, I don't know any other way to do this, but, but here's what I'm trying to teach you as a church. There's something uniquely different that happens when God's word is read. This isn't like anything else that will happen in our service. This is when God Almighty is speaking. And I want us to recognize that by taking time to stand. It signifies something important is happening. And also just to honor the fact that God is speaking. Does that make sense? So I wonder, would you rise to your feet as we read from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I'm going to be reading verses 18 through 23. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning of verse 18, it says, let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God, for it is written, 
He is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise that they are what, church? Useless. So then let no one boast in men, for all things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all things belong to you and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Here's the first principle that I think Paul teaches us about maintaining unity. Number one is we can maintain unity by eliminating self-deception. We can maintain unity by eliminating self-deception. Paul begins addressing how to maintain unity by talking about self-deception. He says that we can get rid of it kind of in two ways. He deals firstly with recognizing its error. Recognize its error. In verse 18, he says, let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks he's wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. It's interesting that it's possible for us to be self-deceived. It's possible. For many, when it comes to disunity and division in the church, the reason it exists is because some have just simply been self-deceived. They believe something that's not true. Regardless, recognizing self-deception is never easy. Really, to be even more honest, it requires a deep, penetrating work of the Holy Spirit of God. Paul says that when we rely on our own human wisdom, that's when we're self-deceived. And when we're self-deceived, Paul says that's when division is inevitable. The solution, he says, is that the self-deceived must see their own human wisdom without God as simply moronic. You're saying that sounds strong. Well, Paul says that the wisdom of this world is foolish. Did you see that there? He says there in verse 19, the wisdom of this world is foolishness. And then he says that we must become foolish so that we must become wise. And and those words there are very interesting. It's kind of confusing. If you're honest, you would say that I need to become a fool to become wise. Sounds so self-contradictory. Matter of fact, that sounds like somebody has self-deceived themselves. But the words for foolish and fool come from the Greek word meaning moronic. So on the one hand, relying on this world's wisdom is moronic because it can never please the Lord. On the other hand, when we rely on the Lord's wisdom and not the world's wisdom, we become moronic to the world and they think we're really fools. So once we recognize that thinking we are wise according to the world's standards is an error, we can remedy it by what seems to be the paradox. We must become foolish in the world's eyes to really live out the wisdom of God. Living for the Lord, especially in this day and age, will seem like you have absolutely become a moron to the world. Here's the basic problem and here's the error. No man can know, discover, and implement the wisdom of God without the word of God and the spirit of God. We've covered that a little bit before. 
But here's how this applies to the church. You and I do not have the right to form our own opinions about the ways to do church. We must not rely on our own wisdom. We must be fully submitted to the Word of God. The Word of God, the Bible, this book, is the sole authority pertaining to life and to faith personally and corporately. Let's just say we had 10 guys. And they can be girls as well. 10, 10 guys, 10 people. Most 10 people had PhDs. And they were really, really, really smart, but they had a very limited knowledge and dedication to the Word of God and the Lord of the Word. And then let's say we had 10 more people. And they were high school dropouts. But they were fully committed to the authority and were submitted to the Word of God and the Lord of the Word. Which one would you rather have leading the church? You would take the dropouts in a hurry because you realize very quickly that just being smart doesn't help the church. Just having the world's wisdom to know how to make things work is not great criteria for leading the church. Listen, folks, it doesn't matter how smart you are, how not smart you are. The key to it is that everyone's on level playing field because we all can get into this book. It's possible. It's possible to eliminate self-deception by going to the Word of God. I don't know if you've ever been self-deceived. I'll tell you, man, I was just self-deceived this past Thursday. Uh, a little vanity here, maybe, on my part, but man, it was, the wind was kind of blowing and things were happening and I left the office and I, went, I was going to a meeting and as I went out, the wind was blowing heavily and man, I just thought my hair looked really good and I thought things were okay and you know, I had a little bit of product in my hair to kind of keep it from doing all that crazy stuff in the wind and you know, I didn't pay really any attention to it. And when I got to where I was going, I got out of my truck and I saw myself in my window to my truck. And it literally scared me. <laughs> I said, wow, what an ugly man. My hair was literally, now I'm not making statements here, but man, when you think Donald Trump's hair, if, if you've ever seen his hair, that's, that's some weird stuff right there. I, I, had, I had some different stuff going on up here. But I was self-deceived from the time I got out, from here to the church all the way to that restaurant. I was self-deceived thinking I looked good. But when I saw myself in the glass, the reflection of myself in the glass, it helped me to correct myself. And that's exactly what the Word of God tells us. The Word of God is a mirror. It reflects to us any way that we have been self-deceived. It will show you what you really look like. And then it will show you how to fix it. That's why James says in James 1, 23 through 25, he says, anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that God gives freedom and, and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. In other words, we eliminate self-deception, is what Paul's saying, 
is not looking to the world's wisdom, but looking to the word of God. And then we just adjust accordingly. Many in our culture today are living lifestyles by which they absolutely see nothing wrong. Nothing wrong. They are self-deceived according to their own wisdom. But when we point them or point our own lives to this book, we quickly see the error. And then we're able to make the corrections. Paul says we can eliminate self-deception by recognizing its error, but then he says to realize its emptiness. Realize its emptiness. Not only is self-deception an error, but it's totally empty and produces nothing helpful because in verse 19 he says this, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God, for it is written, he is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness, and again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise that they are useless. Verse 19, we have a quote from Job 5, 13. The word there for catches literally means to catch by the hand. The Lord will always catch us in our own wisdom. He catches us also, the Bible says, in our craftiness. That word in the New Testament is always used in a negative sense. Jesus saw instantly through the craftiness of his enemies when they asked if it was lawful to pay taxes that were imposed on Rome. And Jesus uses the same word here in Luke 20, 23. He says, but he detected their trickery. That's the word. The craftiness, the trickery. And he says something. Jesus always catches us in our craftiness. And when we use it, it'll always come up empty. That's why we get another quote in verse 20 from Psalm 94.11. It says, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise, that they are useless. That word reasonings is a word that means to think one's way through something in a very logical fashion. The same concept is used by the Lord in his parable of the wicked vineyard workers who plotted together to murder the son of the vineyard owner and seize the vineyard for themselves, thinking that nothing would happen to them. It was used in the logic of the rich fool who planned to build bigger and bigger barns for all the stuff that he had, not knowing that he had run out of time and his life would be demanded of him. We read about it in Luke 12. Beginning in verse 16, the Bible says, and he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man was very productive, and here comes our word, and he began reasoning to himself, thinking through it logically. What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and then I will store all my grain and my goods. Reasoning. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But now here comes the catch. God said to him, you fool. This very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you've prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. That kind of reasoning, the Bible says, is useless. That word there, useless, means vain, empty, void of result. In Ecclesiastes, it talks about this. In other words, if you've ever had a, a thing of bubbles, right, and, and you put the little thing down in that little wand and you take it out and you blow some bubbles, what happens when that bubble busts is what this word is. 
There's nothing left. It's all vanity. It's completely useless at this point. We come up empty. Self-deception only contributes to disunity and then division. It's an error and it's also empty. When we're using our own thinking, our own reasonings, there's division and it, it leads to lifeless, useless division. The Old Testament, there's a story about a man named Jacob and his brother Esau. Jacob was a very clever man, a tricky man at that. He was so self-deceived that he thought he could trick his brother by his own craftiness out of his birthright, and it would have no consequence. But he was caught in his craftiness by his brother Esau because his brother Esau decided he was going to kill his brother Jacob for tricking him. Jacob then flees to a place called Paran Aram. And there he falls into the hands of his very crafty uncle Laban. Laban was just as crafty and reasoning as Jacob. And so he made this deal that he would give him his daughter as a wife if he had just worked for her. But then Jacob worked for seven years and got to the end and Laban said, ha ha, I tricked you. You got to work another seven years for the one you want. And so he worked another seven years. And at the end of those seven years, Uncle Laban was like, hey, why don't you stick around for a while? Finally, at the end of the day, God used Laban to discipline Jacob, and he caught him in his craftiness for what he did and his reasonings for what he did with Esau. But then Laban ends up losing his own children and his grandchildren and a lot of his flock because the Lord caught him in his craftiness. Here's what I'm going to tell you. That kind of craftiness is an error, and it always results in emptiness because it's based on self-deception, and we can't maintain unity when we're self-deceived. But then the Bible says we can maintain unity by eliminating selfish divisions. Eliminating selfish divisions. Paul gives some incredible truths to focus on. So if we're not focusing on all this kind of stuff, what are we supposed to focus on? And what he's really saying here is, listen, if you really want to cure self-deception, Stop thinking your way through things and think about how God says to think about things. First, he says this, remember who we are. Remember who we are. Verse 21, I want your eyes to see it. So then let no one boast in men. Do y'all see that there? We're not to boast in any man. Why? Let me tell you why. Because men will let you down. All men are frail. Every single person in this room is prone to error, that they're able to fall into deep, dark sin. We all have, in other words, feet of clay, and it's best to never glory or boast in any man. Remember, they were elevating Paul and Cephas and Apollos. So Paul keeps coming back to say, don't boast in us. We are men and women who should not boast in others and have others boasting in us. We would just remember who we are. You and I are people in need of the deep grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus, probably hourly, if I'm honest. Men and women in the church that are our leaders, that are our teachers, are meant to be sources of unity and not division. We're not to rally around certain people. We're not to form divisions based on certain people. The people that God has given to us are for our unity, not for our divisiveness. 
And when we elevate them one over another, bad things always happen. So we must remember that we're all men and women in need of grace, in need of the anointing of God, and we're capable of flaws, and we have to give grace to one another even when we mess up. We boast in anything, may it be in the Lord Jesus. We must simply humble ourselves and not think too highly of ourselves. He says, so remember who you are, but then he also says, remember what we have. Remember what we have. Paul says, for all things belong to you. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all things belong to you. Remember what we have. Sometimes, listen carefully, there's division in the church because we simply want things we truly already have. It's interesting. We just simply forget we have them. Paul says, don't look anywhere else for anything that you need. Once you've looked to Christ, you have all you need. He tells us, he says, hey, be thankful for what you have, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas. What we have is we have great leaders. We have the leaders that we need right here in our church. We've been given great leaders in the faith, great leaders for our entire body, leaders that are strong like Paul. Some are stylistically gifted like Apollos, and there's some leaders in our church who are just like Peter, and they take a stand, but they're all ours. We've been blessed at this church, haven't we? We have great leaders here. We have great leaders. We have an amazing associate pastor. Justin, we're thankful for you, brother. We're thankful for Brent. We, we're thankful for you. You're a great leader. Because we have great deacons in this church. Did y'all know that? We have great deacons and their wives. They're great leaders in this church. Praise God for our deacons. Did you know, Lucy, you just, you just said, hey, praise God, we've got a bunch of kids. We have great Sunday school teachers here in our church. We have great leaders in our church, don't we? Praise God for who and remember what we have. And he tells us not only the who of what we have, but he tells us the where. We have the world. Did you know that one day you and I are going to inherit a millennial kingdom and then Christ is going to build a new heaven and a new earth and we're going to reign there and have that as ours for all eternity? That's what we have. We have the world to look forward to. Then we have the what. What do we have? We have the who. We have the where. Now we have the what. He tells us we have life and death. That's interesting. You know that Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. And he who believes in me has eternal life. We've been given abundant life. We've been given eternal life. And and we have so much to look forward to. But then even in death, we've been given victory over death. Did you know that death has been defeated? I mean, did you know that Jesus put death to death? Can I just say a word to you right now? I'm not trying to to make light of anything that maybe some tragic circumstances you've been through, but can I tell you this? Believers die differently. Did you know that, that God says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints? We even view death differently. God sees it differently. Why? Because, listen to me, the only thing death can do to the believer, the only thing he can do is take you to Jesus. (laughs) Wow! That's all death can do to me is bring me to Jesus. Well, then I'm like Paul, well, then bring it on. We have life and we have death. And then he tells us the when things present are things to come. Things present, we have so many good things which are God's gifts to us. Did you know that God makes no mistakes? 
So anything that you have has been, has been filtered through the loving hand of God, even though you may not understand it. You've got to know that things that are present have been filtered by your, your Heavenly Father's loving hands, and, and he meant it for your good, even though you may not understand it. You've been given from God so good. And then he says, maybe things, things to come. Wow. Did you know that, that even tomorrow morning, his mercies are going to be new? <laughs> Did you know that tonight while you sleep, that, that Jesus is going to be singing and dancing over you? That's pretty awesome. And things that come, did you know? Praise God, I hope it happens one day while I'm preaching. It would be so awesome. However it's going to sound, there's going to be a trumpet that blows. And praise God, folks, I am out of here. I'll be gone, I'll be raptured, man. I got that to look forward to. And you and I are gonna see the face of Jesus one day. Wow. And I have heaven to look forward to. I, I get to see some loved ones who've passed on in the faith. Oh, what a day of rejoicing that will be. What's it gonna be like to be held by Jesus? What's it going to be like? Just remember what you have. That's why your kids fight, is because they're always focused on what they don't have. Well, so this is this why you're fighting in the church? Because you've forgotten what you have. You've forgotten who you are and you forgot what you have. And then he says, then remember whose you are. Because he says there, and you belong to Christ. And Christ belongs to God. Did you? I'm a Baptist unashamedly. And I'm a Southern Baptist unashamedly. Let me tell you something here. Listen to me. This has nothing to do with being a Baptist. This has everything to do with doctrine. And that's why we're Southern Baptists. We believe this. But did you know that what Paul just said there, and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God, means that you are doubly secure? If you are in Christ and Christ belongs to God, there's nothing you can ever do to lose your salvation. You are in Christ. You belong to him. Jesus isn't an Indian giver. Aren't you thankful? John 6, 39, the Bible says this. This is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given me, I lose what, church? We've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus and we belong to him. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Christ is the beloved son of God and Christ belongs solely to the Father. In other words, what this means is, is that we're all in Christ because we belong to Christ through salvation and Christ belongs to God. So listen to me. You and I are just as secure as Jesus is in being the son of God. As long as Jesus continues to be owned by the Father, you and I will always continue to be owned by Jesus. That's what the Bible's saying. So can Jesus ever change the fact that he's the Son of God? No! Because he belongs to God. And you and I belong to Christ, amen. Praise God for Christ. So we eliminate selfish division by remembering these precious truths about ourselves and about each other. 
We're all in Christ and we've been blessed by Christ and we receive grace as we mess this thing up daily. But it's easy for us to forget this. And when we do, division happens. Unity cannot be maintained with their self-deception and, and these selfish divisions. Can you imagine just for a moment if Jesus Christ, the commander in chief of the army of God, came here to First Baptist Church and said, I want to review the troops. The troops here are supposed to be fresh and ready for battle. But when Jesus comes in, he realizes that some of us have recent wounds. There's nicks in our armor. Some of us have got casts on. Some of us have got another arm and a sling. Some of us are limping with crutches. And Jesus says, hey, what's going on here? Why are they wounded already? And then somebody says, well, it's because they've been fighting in the barracks again. We're not each other's enemy. When we forget what we have, when we forget who we are, and when we forget whose we are, we'll wound each other before we ever get out there. And Paul says, that can't be. That should never be. We have to take care of that. Jeremy, you and your team can come. So we maintain unity by eliminating self-deception and this selfish division. If you remember in your Bible, once Jesus took Peter, James, and John up onto a mountain. And the Bible tells us that while they were there, Jesus was transfigured before them. The Bible tells us that Jesus was shining as bright as the sun and his clothes were as white as pure light. Then the Bible tells us that Moses and Elijah appeared there on that mountain. And then Peter wants to build a tabernacle or a dwelling place, kind of a temporary dwelling place for Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. And while Peter was talking and saying, hey, should, should we build you guys this? I, I think this would be a good idea. A voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. At that, they all fell on their faces and they were afraid. And the Bible says that Jesus came and touched them and said, hey, don't be afraid. But when they looked up, they saw no one remaining but Jesus. Here's what I want to tell you today. Go back to listen to what God said. He said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And then he adds this phrase that I didn't tell you because I wanted to tell you now. And then he says, listen to him. Here's what that means. A lot of it means a lot of things, but particularly for today. You and I don't need to build any monument or tabernacle to anybody. We simply just need to listen to Jesus. That is the way we maintain unity. We just keep listening to Jesus. Listening to Jesus. We have to fight for it. And we have to do everything we can to maintain unity in our body. And I believe we're unified. 
But I believe if we don't keep focused on this, the enemy can slip in at any moment and divide us. Self-deception. Learn to become a fool. One way is to look in the mirror of God's Word. So church, let me ask you. Every year, coming up in January, I encourage you to read through the Bible in a year. We're in May now. How you doing? How you doing? Did you just give up or are you going to keep going? How you doing reading this book? You're going you're gonna to eliminate self-deception by staying in this book, I promise you. Well, Emma Gordon, who was baptized here last weekend, I wrote in the cover to her Bible, I said a lot of things to her, but one thing I said particularly was, I said, Emma, I need you to know something about this Bible that we're giving you. Sin will keep you from this Bible. But this Bible will keep you from sin. You believe that, church? You want to eliminate self-deception? Get into the book. What about, we've been studying, Justin, we've been leading our groups through prayer. How you doing with prayer? Is prayer just a tip to God for a good service, you know? Is prayer something that you really really spending time in maybe right now as we begin to close this service and, and maybe even this week this week or maybe today after church you want to just kind of get alone for, with God and say Holy Spirit would you reveal to me any area of my life to where I'm self-deceived here's another one especially for you younger folks I, I want to just speak to my students here today but is there an area in your life in which you're not living according to the Bible because you know it'll make you look like a moron at your school. The scripture says, man, you need to look like a moron. And you should look like a moron. Because you are not living for their approval. You will stick out. Especially in our culture today. If you are fitting in you're probably self-deceived. Self-division, focus on what you have and what you don't. I wonder this afternoon if you may want to take some time as you're meditating upon the things of God. Maybe you want to make a list of everything you have in Jesus. And for some of us, maybe we just need to dwell and meditate on the fact that I belong to Jesus and that changes everything. Maybe this morning though you can't say that. Maybe this morning you can't say that you belong to Jesus but you sure would like to. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. I want to give you an opportunity to give your life to Christ to accept what he did to buy you by dying on a cross, being buried and raised again to forgive you of your sin, to come in and give you this eternal and abundant life. So what we're going to do is we're going to stand here in just a second and I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you need that, you want to be in Christ today, I ask you to come and let us know. We'll lead you to you. Maybe others of you in the room today, there's something else that you need to do to come and pray.
will be here to receive you. So I wonder if you'd stand your feet as those who will be at the altar come. Let me pray.